we recorded this interview online and the internet on the day of the recording was a bit shaky and therefore you might find some concerns with the recording i request you to please bear with us and i promise you that every bit of the episode would be insightful and helpful for you thank you India has been independent for 75 years now. That's 3 quarters of a century. However, I wouldn't really call us prosperous or developed for that matter. The income disparities are immense coupled with extreme levels of poverty. Yes, we've made some progress, but I don't think that's enough. But how do we how did we get here? Who is responsible for it? What are the reasons? Is there a way out? What are the solutions for it? And where do we go from here? These are all worthwhile and important questions for the future of our country. And I'm sure a lot of us have contemplated the reasons. I went through this brilliant book titled Getting Competitive by R.C. Bhargava, Chairman Maruti Suzuki, after having spent 25 years in the Indian administrative services. The book is a must read for everyone in India and for everyone outside who wants to understand what happened since independence. It also contains all the answers to the questions I have posed above and more. He's with us today to discuss upon the topic why did India lose and how can India win. So let's deep dive into the discussion with him. Hello Bhargav sir, a true honor and pleasure to welcome you on Secrets of Storytellers. How are you? Good morning. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you sir. Thank you. So I must tell you I loved every bit of the book, especially because uh, you know many books Thank do Thank you. Uh, many books do a good job a uh, good analysis to find out the problem you know and they offer an idealistic solution as well but it's only seldom does someone come across a book which has three decades of a success story to back their suggestions you know true so uh, I, i want to start with your journey during uh, you know your uh, stint with the indian administrative services now that's one of the most coveted role most coveted positions to be in the country and uh, like you mentioned in the book you write that the civil servants in the country are chosen through a stringent process and the competencies cannot be doubted at all it is the system that becomes an impediment sometimes you know and they are forced to give in like you shared you know the cbi or the cbi are always on top of you in case you were trying to do something uh, innovative could you share any such incident uh, which happened with you or you saw around you there have been several incidents of uh, the system in fact is such that it does not allow you to do what is required to get work done in time for example yeah if i float a tender almost inevitably i have to accept the lowest bidder okay now the lowest bidder may not be the most competent person to execute the work right yeah and what happens in a large percentage of government tenders for works is that after the tender has been awarded to somebody who's really not competent he raises objections to some item of the process goes to arbitration the work gets delayed and the costs go up projects get delayed if you look at the execution of government projects and these are government's own reports all had time and cost overruns and that is not because the officers are bad mm-hmm. it is because the rules under which they work don't permit them to do so and i had the same problem with the government right right 
I, I understand. And uh, it's, it's a very sorry state to be in then because, you know, uh, these positions are filled with after so much effort, both from the system and from the aspirant side. But it's sometimes hard to hear of these truths uh, at the background. See, the reason for this is that uh, when we attained independence, we had the Indian civil service as the major backbone of the administration. During British times, the requirement of the civil service was only to maintain law and order and promote the interests of the rulers. There was no requirement of this uh, civil service then to execute projects efficiently in time to bring about economic development, to bring about industrial development. That was not a task. And they were never trained or equipped to do that. And when we started a five-year plan, it is the civil ICS which were responsible for all the policy making. But they were not equipped for it in the sense that they had never been trained for it. They had no experience of it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they did it as if it was an administrative job. The IAS came along. But the system of uh, recruitment training remained the same because it was framed by people who were in higher positions. They were the ICS. Mm -hmm. And it is easier to continue with what you have than to change it. And that is why the IES has also never become a development-savvy institution which knows how to execute projects. And that is why these rules have never changed. Hmm. Right, right. So if I, if I were to go back to you know, the times when uh, we attained uh, independence, uh, the first government under uh, Nehru did, did keep manufacturing as the forefront, right? And which you also... Sure acknowledge and you know promote in your book as well uh, as the future of the country if we were to become prosperous but safeguarding or rather uh, over safeguarding the whole system by giving the entire owners to the public sector and keeping a strong check on the private sector through licensing as we know was a big mistake probably we realized it much later but there were still companies like you know the tatas the reliance birlas among others what do we attribute their success to was it some kind of political affiliations backing them up or was it their dedication to fight the system or, you know, something else? You know, the Tata's had been there from the beginning, well before independence. Tata Steel was set up before independence. And uh, the Tata's were a very highly respected institution by that time. Right. The Birlas, again, were a very powerful political family, also besides being industrialists. And they grew. But remember, even the Tatas and the Villas grew within the confines of the licensing system. Mm -hmm. It was not as if they had unrestricted growth and they could do what they like. They still had to work within the licensing system. But because of who they were and what they were, it was easier for them to get amendments to the license, get a new license, and that kind of thing. But the role of the private sector was, in any case, limited by policy. Right. So talking about those policies, uh, on, on paper, they look brilliant, right? They were made with the country's uh, then socioeconomic state. We drew examples from the best economies around the world. 
is it is it then the implementation which is to be blamed or uh, were they never meant to work for us regardless of you know who implements how it is implemented no no it's both they were meant to work the policies which we adopted were based on the soviet model and right. the soviet experience and uh, subsequent events have shown that even in the country of origin the soviet union these policies completely failed there are many reasons why they failed sure but in india they failed for the same reasons and in a public sector constrained by a written constitution and a binet role for the judiciary and the legislature in those circumstances a public sector cannot succeed theoretically a public sector could concede under certain circumstances but in the circumstances which were created in it and the role which was assigned to the public sector because they were supposed to be model employers they were supposed to usher in socialistic systems in the whole economy it was impossible for them to succeed and they didn't right i feel metrics you know are what decide the final outcome of any system would you agree with that and if if you do agree with that what was essentially wrong with how as a nation we defined the metrics for the public sector that you know it fell flat on its face you know for any industry or for example in any activity of human endeavor if there is no competition you do not do your best you said whether it's in any sports field or any academic field where there is competition the standards keep improving and better and better results flow where there is no competition of any kind complacency comes along there's a feeling of self satisfaction and progress is not only limited or slow but sometimes there is no progress mm-hmm. so that was one fact with the public sector it is not subject to any competition then the role of the public sector criteria for its evaluation did not have anything which dealt either with productivity or quality improvement or cost reduction or profit so there were no real elements by which anybody could judge how efficiently was the public sector being run and because profits were not required to be made and profits were not being paid the public sector did not generate internal resources adequate even sometimes to do their own maintenance work but mm. a company needs to generate internal resources and that is after meeting expenses and paying off loans and all that which can be invested in modernization growth technology development and such things the public sector never had that as an object so how could it grow right and and that hampered the morale of the employees probably right and they probably they became complacent yeah but they, they took it that look we don't have to generate our resources we don't have to grow on our own government will help us now if you are looking at a government to run your industry what mm. kind of industry will it be right right but then we have a wonderful example right in the middle of uh, everything which was not going right at least uh, maruti suzuki is an embodiment of what can make it work right 
you and your team have uh, proved it right in fact what started as a public sector undertaking uh, i think was never dependent on the government to rescue them so how how does marathi you know operate and uh, it i think draws heavily from the japanese system of manufacturing as well could you share some significant steps that you took uh, at marathi compared to the other psus which changed the entire entire game see right from the time when we started mr suzuki the president of suzuki we had asked him that we want to attain the same standards of quality and cost which you have he said i'll help you do that provided you listen to what i tell you about how to manage the company okay and mr krishnamurthy and i agreed i said yes we'll learn from you so we put any of our egos mr krishnamurthy yeah. was a renowned figure but right. he also was willing to learn and i think that's his greatness and i was not an industrial expert anyway so i was willing of course to learn and he said quality and cost these have to be your mantras at all times for any industry quality and cost are the two mantras which you have to keep chanting day in and day out and to get the best quality and cost you have to involve your workers as partners as your team members in the company because 70% plus people in the company are the working class right. the blue collar workers if those workers are pulling in a different direction from the 30% management you can never get the best results we don't understand that in our industry even till today mm-hmm. the japanese understood this after the war when they wanted to revive their industry and become a global power and they did it only by making workers a part of the entire industrial team and that is what we did in maruti and therefore mantras of quality and cost of looking at why do you worry about quality and cost because for the consumer he gets more value for his product more value for the money he spends if every time you're giving him better quality and better cost so it ultimately goes down of course to consumer interest but a company has to worry about quality and cost indian public sector never worried about quality and cost mm. and maruti did and you know the results how we have grown and we yeah. have grown without taking loans without increasing our uh, equity capital from the original 80 crores we have only gone to 150 crores and today we have a cash reserve of over 40000 crores and we have expanded from 100000 units to 1.5 million 15 lakh units 5 15 times we have expanded all from internal resources if that doesn't establish the importance of generating internal resources nothing ever will that's that's just a wonderful story every time i listen to it but so i'm sure there were like every other public sector company there were a lot of union issues that you were facing how did you in particular deal with those union issues because you know it becomes just difficult to get through them you know we have a wrong conception okay that the workers are not interested in what happens to a company that is completely wrong a worker knows he has to work in the company 
Now, if you can explain to the worker and talk to him, because he must understand things properly from the right person, that the worker's future ultimately lies with the future of the industry. Job security. If the company remains solvent and start keeps growing, the workers will retain their jobs. If the company goes bankrupt, the worker will lose his job. So job security does not come from union activities. It comes from the company remaining a working company. The ability to pay more to workers, give them better perks, better life. Where does the money come from? The only source of money is earnings. The more a company earns, the more it expands, the more it will be able to provide for the workers. The worker has to have confidence that the management will not take away the earnings of the company for its own use, mm. and they will be left with nothing. So in Maruti, we had to create this confidence in the workers that no. the money will be used for the benefit of the company, not for management's benefit. And when it comes to the company, it will also come for the benefit of the workers. And that's something we have practiced all these years. The workers in Maruti today, yeah. in many ways, are probably better off than workers anywhere else in the country. Yeah. In fact, uh, as a matter of coincidence, uh, I just met one of my friends from Maruti yesterday. And uh, he told me, I, I just don't want to quit Maruti, you know, because I feel so safe, secure. And the kind of work that I do is, is just beautiful. And uh, he's like, uh, there's no other company in the automotive sector in India, which gives you that security and yet is so competitive in the, in the market. And we all know how successful that is. So what, uh, what was, you know, your learnings from uh, the Japanese model from Mr. Suzuki, yours and Mr. Krishnamurti's in terms of the leadership skills, as in, in what were the main important traits of a leader that you imbibed as well at Marathi? See, the biggest thing, I mean, this is my personal view, yeah. is that a leader must work for the interests of all stakeholders of a company. A leader of a company, the managing director or the proprietor or the promoter cannot work only for his interest and his family's interest and expect that company and its employees to be doing their best for him. Whether it is an employee, whether it's a dealer, they must all feel that they are partners in the company. It's the responsibility of the leader to create that kind of confidence amongst all the associates of the company and create a real feeling of working as a single team. Everybody must work as a team in the company. The leader has to set an example. He cannot expect people to do the things which he says need to be done, whether it's discipline, whether it's punctuality, whether it's uh, respecting others, whether it's being frugal in your lifestyle, if what you do is opposite to what you're telling others to do, you have to walk the talk. Mm. And in Maruti, whatever we said we want people to do, whether it's wearing uniform, 
eating the same food in the canteen, using the same toilets. All the top management did exactly the same thing. There's no distinction with, because we said we are all equal human beings. It doesn't matter if you are a worker and I am the managing director, but we are ultimately human beings. Our requirements are the same. And I must respect you for what you do because your work is as important as my work. Because if you don't do your work, the company's products will be defective. Yeah. So everybody's job is equally important. Everybody has to do his job well. And you have to keep inculcating in everybody this feeling that the customer interests have to be paramount. That quality and cost are required for giving customer value. That the company must keep making continuous improvements all the time. There's no such thing as an absolute standard of quality or an absolute standard of productivity. It is always capable of being improved. Right. So a leader has to keep doing these things all the time. People must believe that uh, he believes what he says and he does what he says. Right. I think the, uh, there's a lot to learn from uh, your leadership style and how you've led at Maruti, along with all the top management. I think respect and uh, setting examples by what you do is much more powerful than what you say and uh, ask people to do, right? Right. Uh, you cannot so, win respect by your position. Yeah. You have to respect by what you do, mm-hmm. not by being sitting in a particular chair. I think the age-old wisdom, uh, actions speak louder than words, is, is, is of a lot of value. It's always true. Right, right. One last question before we move to the next section, uh, Bhagav, sir, uh, is that uh, now that you see the problems, uh, the solutions in almost black and white in the country, how many years do we have with us to, you know, bounce back and start on a journey towards a wealthier nation, a more prosperous nation, a more happy nation before we, you know, let the wagon go by? I don't know how many years we have because I think we are already very late. <laughs> we have lost decades. And uh, we have altered to understand that... Uh, The answers to growing industry and becoming a powerful manufacturing country are not going to be found by the central government alone. In fact, the role of the central government is comparatively limited and much smaller than the role of the state governments. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are so caught up with our uh, political objectives that the state governments particularly are not taking as much uh, interest and as much uh, understanding of what they need to do to attract industry and make it competitive. Because most of the inputs and interactions of any manufacturing unit are with the state government. And so everyone saying the government Mr. Modi has not done this, or Mr. Modi has not done that, and that is why industry is not growing. That is why manufacturing. It's all wrong. Mr. Modi can only do so much. 
the actual ground level work where people interact with the industrialist, where people provide inputs to the industrialist, where people provide infrastructure and infrastructure services to the industry, are all state government. How should Mr. Modi do? If officers in a particular state are obstructive, they demand money for doing things, they delay decisions, they delay permissions, what is Mr. Modi supposed to do? But uh, we are given to understand, you know, that it all goes back to the top and it goes all to the single government. Is that true? How, how much truth is to the fact? It's not true. We are not a unitary government. We are a federal structure. Right. States have enormous powers given to them under the constitution. And most of the things I'm saying relating to industry, which a state government has to do and does, are all its constitutional powers. Mr. Modi cannot do anything about it. It does not go back to the top. It goes to the top, yes, but the top of the state government, not the top at the central government. Please right. remember, we are a federal structure. Right. So then the state governments have come, uh, have to uh, step up and, uh, you know, make up for all the lost uh, development. They have to come forward and take, take and do what they need to do. Right, right. That's wonderful. And uh, I'm extremely thankful for all the experiences and the wisdom that you've shared with us. I, I want to reach next to the concluding section of the podcast. The reason why we call the podcast as Secrets of Storytellers sir, is uh, because here I ask uh, each one of my guests uh, that one secret about the book or about your journey while you were writing the book that uh, probably you've not uh, really shared out in the open. Well, you know, I've been thinking about this book for a long time. Uh-huh. But to find the time to write it was a challenge. Okay. Because I, I wasn't using anybody to help me with it. Oh, wow. In the sense that I you did all the writing scribe. myself. Nice. And I'm not all that competent writer that I had to, I wrote a chapter, then I had to revise it, and then I, Sometimes later I read it and I said, nay, nay, this is not good. It needs revision again. So it, it was a very arduous process. I am sure. not like some of those writers who write it first time and get it right. I can't do that. Right. That's wonderful. Uh, if I may ask, uh, what, what motivates you at this day and age uh, to you know, get up in the morning and do all that you do at, at this age as well? I don't do all that much let's be clear <laughs> the, that's being the fact that you have the ability to do certain things and i have no other uh, what should i say interest that i would like to spend my time anyway i find this the most satisfying kind of thing to do <laughs> i don't want to sit at home and just do nothing but watch tv or do something like that yeah. Or travel around. I, I'm not keen on traveling anymore. I've seen it from the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm not keen on that either. Right. So that's wonderful. I, I, I think I'm lucky that I've had an opportunity to, to work till this time. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, that's, uh, that's great. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Bhagav sir, for taking out the time to speak to us on a Sunday morning. And I am extremely, extremely 
thankful for taking out uh, uh, and you know doing this with us i hope you enjoyed the discussion as well thank you thank you shubham thanks a lot thank bye you bye 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 bye